Nyata, hello. It's Alison here from a church in southwest Victoria called Sanctuary. A few years ago, I went to the Southwest Roadshow. There, LGBTI plus folk and allies and agencies listened and learned from each other about the needs, resources and gaps in the region. Now, I was there as an observer at the invitation of friends. But to my surprise, one of those friends then introduced me to the gathering and she told everyone about Sanctuary. She's a person who has experienced a great deal of rejection and discrimination and harm in ways which are often driven by Christians. And because her experiences of godly people have been so damaging, she describes herself as an anti-theist, that is, someone who is against God. But to the hundred or so people there, she said into the microphone, you need to know about Sanctuary. It's safe and welcoming for people like us. It's a light in the darkness, and it gives me hope. As a pastor, I'm often asked, why church? What's the point? Why bother turning up? Because quite frankly, we can read better sermons and hear better music online. We can have better conversations with old friends than with the odd bods in any congregation. We can be better resource for placemaking and community development through secular organisations. And anyway, other forms of spirituality are so much easier and so much more spiritual than this awkward old beast that we call church. So, why church? It's a great question, particularly in a fragmented post-lockdown, post-church kind of age. And depending on the circumstances and my mood, you'll get a different answer. But the story of my anti-theist lesbian friend tells you what I'm thinking today, and it reminds me of the book of Revelation. Last week, I introduced the idea of reading Revelation liturgically, that is, reading it as a letter addressed to a small, fragile, worshipping community which is bearing the pain of the world. I suggested that this way of reading places God at the centre, but it leaves plenty for the church to do and to be. And this plenty is not about saving the world, nor is it about selling pie in the sky till you die. Instead, in this way of reading, the worshipping community is called to embody God's new creation and to be a sign of God's future, a glimpse of the fullness that is yet to come for the whole earth. And we get a sense of that fullness in tonight's text as John describes his vision of the new Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 22. I had a vision, he says. The holy city came down from heaven and it filled the earth. And this city is so bright, so radiant that there are no dark corners, no dangerous alleyways. There are no monsters under the bed and women walk safely alone at night. In fact, there is no night, for the city is always lit up with God's glory. Just imagine, a church like the holy city, so clear, so transparent that there are no dark corners. There are no clandestine meetings and no weeping choir boys and no women keeping terrible secrets. There are no factions, no unacknowledged power, no hidden wealth, no hypocrisy, 
no lies, for everything is clear and above board. This church is so bright that every corner of the human heart, every human experience is bathed in God's light and integrated into God's fullness. And the stories it tells and the love that it shares shine hope into other people's lives and draw them to the beautiful, radiant city. I had a vision, says John, the gates are never shut. Instead, they're flung wide open to welcome all peoples. Nothing unclean will enter the city because God makes all things clean. So all people come to worship God, and they are all bearing gifts. Just imagine, a church like the holy city, so open, so welcoming, that all who turn up find a red carpet rolled out for them. A church where everyone has a place to belong and they don't have to earn it. A place where everyone can share their gifts. Imagine a church which doesn't preference men over women, European theologies over indigenous theologies, and intellect over other ways of knowing. A church which doesn't elevate white people over brown, or straight people over gay, or adults over children. An open church, which no longer polices baptism, or membership, or sexuality, or gender. A hospitable church which doesn't set fences around the communion table, but seats everyone at the table. Come as you are, this church says, God's grace is enough. And so they pour in, bringing their gifts. I had a vision, says John. There's a sparkling river. It flows from God right through the heart of the city. And fruit trees grow on both sides of the river, left and right. And the trees provide good eating all year round. And the leaves are for healing the people. Just imagine. A church which is planted on the banks of the river of life. It doesn't buy in cheap synthetic fertilizers of management theory or corporate models or the latest psychology text. Instead, it's fed by the Logos, the Word, the eternal joyful conversation that is communion with the Lamb. Imagine a church with deep roots in the Gospel. It produces good fruit year-round, fruit which nourishes and sustains. Imagine a church so healthy, so actively engaged in loving and peacemaking and bridge building that it's healing all peoples. Even its leaves are balm. I had a vision, says John. In the holy city, there's no temple, no synagogue, no place of worship, no church. Because God's self is the temple, and God's self permeates all things. There is no longer any need for separate places to highlight the holy, because people have finally seen that the whole world is overflowing with the goodness and the power of God. Just imagine. 
a church which is not an end in itself. A church which doesn't squabble over buildings or committees or programs or succession planning, which isn't interested in self-protection or self-perpetuation, which trusts God for its future and gives its life away. Instead of arguing over worship styles or theologies, it pours its energies into justice. Instead of policing the communion table, it works towards shalom. Instead of tearing people apart, it unites all people in love. And instead of limiting faith to an hour on Sundays as presented by the priestly class, this church sanctifies all places, all work, all activities, and equips all people as ministers. Imagine a church shining brightly with integrity, authenticity and transparency. A church which welcomes all comers and sees them in the light of grace. A church which feeds all people with the goodness of gospel fruit. A church which models justice and peace and builds love between diverse peoples. A church not known for words which harm, but for loving words, words which heal. A church which points to the holy in all things and enables the ministry of all peoples. Imagine a church which models a holy city so beautifully, so generously, so powerfully and so tenderly that one day it will be unnecessary because it shines with a light so bright that all peoples everywhere see the radiant face of God. Even the anti-theists and my hurting and wounded friend and even you and even me. And so I wonder, when have you experienced a church as Holy City? What are the gates or entry points, and how can they be opened more widely? How do we welcome the gifts of all people, or do we do this? What impact would a church like this have on our wider society. I'll leave you to wonder, but there's always more to read on our website at sanctuarybaptist.org and Sanctuary is funded entirely by members and supporters. If you'd like to support the work of this little church, you can make a donation via PayPal and you'll find the details for this on the website. This week, the recording was made on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and I pay my respects to elders past and present. Rainbow lorikeets are feasting on hakia. European trees are turning red and gold, and autumn leaves are dancing everywhere, and the peace of the land be with us all. Amen. <laughs>